0: Um good morning. Uh my name is David. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I have the great privilege of being the pastor here at Redeemer. And um, and I am glad that you guys joined us. I hope that what we talk about uh this morning is really helpful for you as wherever you are in your journey of faith. And let me also give you guys just a little um just say uh this morning, you gotta you gotta work to stay with me a little bit. Uh, it's a little thick. It's a little dense. This is not an easy topic we're taking on. But I think uh, if you hang with it uh, and work to listen and understand, it will be helpful. And 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 so I want to let you guys know at the beginning. So when you're dozing off, you know, a little bit later, oh, I need to I need to stay with it. Okay. All right. All right. Um, two weeks ago, one morning. I was, cleaning out some, uh, I was cleaning out my ears, uh, getting ready for the day with some Q-tips, and my little five-year-old Jonathan, uh, whose Minecraft alias is Johnny Danger, um, was standing next to me watching me do it, and he said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning out my ears, and I said, with Q-tips, and I said, Johnny, would you like to clean out your ears? And he said, yeah, cool, that'd be great, and so uh, I gave Johnny a Q-tip, and we did the Q-tip lesson. And uh, that meant that I had to let Johnny know that his, his ears and eardrums are very delicate. Uh, be very careful with your ears. Take the Q-tip, put it in very gently. I like to, like, spin it around when I do it. I don't know what your approach to Q-tips is, but uh, I do that. And then, uh, and then I did it with Johnny, and he did it, and he pulled out that Q-tip and saw yellow stuff and said, that's awesome, Dad. And we, and we were done, okay? So that was the Q-tip lesson. Uh, Some of you guys know where this might be going at this point. Later that evening, when I got home from work, um, I came in, and all the kids were in the living room playing some sort of game uh, that I don't even know what it was with these little plastic pieces. And I said hi to all them, and then I walked over to Shannon and uh, gave her a hug, and we started talking. And a couple moments later, Johnny comes over to us, and he goes, Dad, uh, Mom, my, my ear, something hurts. My ears hurt. And I'm thinking ear infection, right? Five-year-old little boy, but he was clearly in some pain. I was like, ah, oh, geez, we got to go get antibiotics. Uh, turns out that was not what we needed. Uh, what Johnny had done was taken two of those little plastic pieces and jammed them deep into his ears, Right. Uh, And so uh, that night, instead of going to upward basketball assessment, uh, we made a visit to the urgent care on Pearland Parkway. Uh, And then um, Johnny Danger still didn't solve the issue. Uh, That next day, we had to go to the ENT where the young man was put in one of these, uh, which is, I think, a papoose is what you call it. And I think he is smiling in that picture which is ridiculous, right? Uh, that is my boy. Um, uh, and, and so we, uh, we got it out finally the next day. There are no plastic pieces that I'm aware of in Johnny's ears. And, uh, and actually, just to give you all a little history, and I forgot to share this in the first service, uh, two, two years ago, we were in an Astros game. Johnny Danger jams a peanut up his nose. Um, <laughs> and, and we had to deal with that once at the doctor and then at the emergency room. And when we went back to the doctor, uh, just, to just this is just so funny, the doctor said, I just want to let you guys know these perpetrators tend to be repeat offenders. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it was true, right? The doctor was right. Why do I share that story with you all this morning? Okay, we're in week three of our series, Correcting Christian Cliché. And we are talking about things that that people say, uh, some things that Christians say that, that are well intended. That They are hardly ever anything other than well-intended, but oftentimes not helpful. And when I step back and think about today's cliche, I actually want to tell you, I think it's a little bit like the situation with Johnny and the Q-tips, right? I gave Johnny a Q-tip, and suddenly he had a new awareness of his ear and this tool to use in it, but the result was him damaging himself and frustrating others, namely Shannon and I. Um, Similarly, when I think about our saying today, I think what's happened is it's been given and spoken with the great intent of of goodness, uh, but the result has actually led to the hurting of ourselves and the others around us. And the saying for today is, love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. We, um, I'm going to uh, look at uh, a really important text in the book of John um, when it comes to this. But before I get into that, let me say, I, I think that it's really important for me to just get this out there and release some of the tension and acknowledge that this isn't something that a lot of us have just heard. Actually, there are probably many of us who have said this phrase before. I'm sure of it. I have. I, like some of you, have even argued for actually why I think it is a, a good thing to say before, and uh, funny thing, James uh, McKendry, who's right here, uh, who preaches here from time to time, came up to me last week after he found out I was going to uh, preach on this topic. He said, David, you know, man, like a couple weeks ago, I said, uh, love the sin or hate the sin in the message, and I was talking about my mom. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, James, I just want you and everyone else to know I'm not interested in taking on you or your mom here um, this morning as we get into this. I, it's okay if you've said this before. I understand why you have. I also do believe there is a whole lot of truth in it, biblical truth, and, and we're going to engage some of that. However... Uh, what I just want to say again is, after really thinking about how this plays out in in the world, this this saying, and how different people have experienced it, uh, I I I I think that we can do better. I think that we can we can do better than this phrase, and that's really what I want to share with you all today. Okay, so let's get into it. Our key passage comes from the Book of John, um, chapter eight, verses two through eleven. Uh you can find it on page page uh, 868 in the Bible in your chair. It's also going to be on the screens. Uh, before we get into it, why don't we, we go ahead as we u- usually do and pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, um, I ask that you would be with us during this time. I pray that, as we take on something that is not easy, something uh that that is is in our world and in our minds and something we need to talk about well, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us that you you'd give us grace to hear your word, that you'd give us grace to hear one another, that you would give us grace to to be faithful to you, um, starting with ourselves and then being your disciples in a world that that needs you, Lord. And I just, I pray uh, that the words of my mouth, Lord, would especially be pleasing in your sight today. And Lord, I pray that the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight as well. Jesus, you alone are a rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, verse two. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So um, when it comes to the saying, love the sinner, hate the sin, of all the scriptures in the Bible, that is the one. That text that we just read is the one. This is the one that immediately comes to mind for most people when they're thinking about love the sinner, hate the sin, because this is what they observe Jesus doing in the passage. You guys familiar with this phrase WWJD? What would Jesus do, right? And we're supposed to reflect on Jesus's actions and then model them ourselves. Well, I think that is the thought process. This is what folks see Jesus doing in the Bible, right? He leads and we follow, right? And so what do we see Jesus doing? He loves this sinner even though he doesn't love her sin right uh, he he loves her firstly by not condemning her by protecting and defending her from folks who are after her and then and then he loves her at the same time By not glossing over her sin as if it was okay or didn't matter, he tells her to stop, go and leave your life of sin. And and I would say, I think hate is a strong word in love the sin or hate the sin to describe the way that Jesus is interacting with this woman's sin. But when I do think about what Jesus is doing and observe it, uh, I do think that he's holding those things in tension, that, that this is an accurate way to describe Jesus's actions, right? He is certainly against the sin and the consequences of it in her life, but he certainly also loves her, right? Love the sinner, hate the sin, and if we're going to do what Jesus does, that is what what we see, right? However, there is one big problem that I see with WWJDing ourselves into this passage about sin, And, and it is this. It's this. When it comes to sin, I am not like Jesus, okay? When it comes to sin, I am not like Jesus, okay? Uh, Jesus and I are really not in the same category at all when it comes to sin because basically Jesus did so much better with sin than I do or ever have or ever will, right? I have sinned. I will sin. I will sin again. And friends, All of that is absolutely true for each one of you too. And if you don't uh, agree with me, let's talk after the service, okay? Okay, uh, and, and, and sin, therefore, is a part of our lives, but, but here's, it, it wasn't a part of Jesus' life, right? While temptation was there, as the book of Hebrew tells us, Jesus never once stepped into that temptation and, and sinned. He did not once ever sin, never once against God, never once against another person. And when it comes to sin, then, Jesus is so different from me. And just to give you a visual, right, to make this utterly clear, sin... I do not equal Jesus, okay? You got that? Is that, is that, is that there? Uh, and, and just that realization in and of itself makes me pause. Because here's a passage about sin, and we're going to relate to Jesus who never sinned in this passage, right? It makes me think, David, would it be wise for you to think that you can relate to someone else's sin like Jesus did, even though you know yourself to be a helpless sinner? Right and, and and I think that the, the answer is no, it's, it wouldn't be wise. The conclusion I have come to is no, not really. You really probably cannot be exactly like Jesus in this situation because you're not like Jesus in this situation. And, and when it comes to relating to other people's sins, I just don't feel like I'm going to be able to do it like Jesus did. Okay? Um, so if we're not going to be like Jesus... Uh, in this passage, what other options are there available to us, right? Well, here's the thing that a lot of us don't realize. There are other options. There are actually three different groups interacting in this scripture. There are three perspectives that we could relate to when it comes to relating to sin. There's Jesus whom we talked about. There is also the woman who is caught in adultery, uh, who's a part of this scenario. And then there is also teachers of the law and the Pharisees who have brought this woman to Jesus to say, what are you going to do about her sin? And so if I, uh, based on our last conversation, recognize that I am a sinful person and I am not Jesus, who else might I be like in the passage? This would be my recommendation that we relate to option two. We relate ourselves to the woman, okay? When it comes to, to, to sin... I think that's the person who we most uh, most are like. She sinned and we have sinned. In our sinning, we have broken God's law just like she broke God's law. And while death by stoning was the immediate consequence according to the law for her sin, what I think we have to realize is that uh, according to the Bible, death is also the consequence for every single one of our sins that we all commit, even if it's not immediate for me and you too. Because not only in the Bible uh, does the book of Romans make it utterly clear in chapter uh, 323, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Later on in that same uh, train of thought that Paul has, he goes on to say the wages of sin are death. This, the wages of everyone's sin are death. And so ultimately... What well, we got to recognize we're in the same predicament as this woman when it comes to sin. We are all sinners in desperate need of Jesus' mercy and grace. And if that's what we need, right, who, who do I want to be in this passage? I want to be her because God gave her that mercy and grace through Jesus. He, he, he gives her this incredible gift of love and, and, and forgiveness and, and the mercy and grace that she needed in that moment, Right. And so when it comes also then, if we're relating to her, to thinking about other people's sin, right, where does that lead us? Uh, I want to point out, if we're going to relate to her, what does she do in this passage related to anybody else's sin? Nothing, right? She isn't worried about anybody's sin other than her own. She lets Jesus worry about those other people's sin, and, and, and if she's going to be the one that we relate to and say, I'm going to be like her in this passage, I mean, maybe what that suggests is that, we, uh, is that we, we don't worry about other people's sin, right? Maybe the only sin we ever need to worry about is, is our own, and we can just stop there. So that's it. That settles it. If you got your Bible open, we can close it. Let's pray. Let's be done this morning, right? Yeah, nobody believed that in the other service either. Um, uh, So some of us might lean in that direction of just not talking or thinking about sin anymore. But uh, I want to know, I feel a tension there when I think about relating to the woman that way. Um, I am like, okay, I hear people say, you know, the only sin we ever need to worry about is our own. And I'm like, well, I get what you're saying, but... Hold your horses, right? Let's talk. You guys ever you ever heard that? My dad used to say this all the time. Hold your horses, David. And that's what I want to say because, because there's more to this conversation. And 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 I bet a lot of us are feeling that tension here, right? Uh, I don't think the whole witness of scripture is that we only worry about our own sin. I don't think that what the Bible wants us to do or directs us to do is to stay silent about our sin and take no concern for the sin that is playing out in the world. I think there is more to loving people who, who we love, who, who are in our lives, who are in the thick of it with sin, than just saying, I'm going to go ahead and leave you to Jesus and never engage that conversation at all. I get the part about letting Jesus judge, right? I think that is pretty clear in the scripture. Jesus himself said it very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, do not judge. Uh, but, But I also see other things in the scripture that I know to be true, and I know to be true from my own experience, and it's this, sin damages and destroys, and a lot of sin simply cannot be left unchecked in our lives or in the world. And so, the questions I have are like, are we then supposed to stay silent about sin that hurts those who are vulnerable in the world? No, right? Sins like child abuse, spousal abuse, racism, oppression, I don't think we can stay silent about those things. And if we look at the scripture, Jesus himself doesn't say silent about sins. In fact, he's got some very strong things to say. Let me share with you this, Matthew 18, these are the words of Jesus. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for the causes of sin. These stumbling blocks must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. And he continues on. If your hand or your foot causes you to fall into sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire, right? That's some serious language about sin where Jesus is not staying silent about it, right? And, and I think what he is, is reminding us of is there are some sins that are too destructive In our lives or the lives of people around us, to stay silent about. I also think that Jesus is reminding us that sin, if left unchecked, doesn't just stay in a little container, only doing a little bit of damage in this this singular located place. Instead, sin spreads like a cancer. It metastasizes over an entire person's life. One lie that you tell that you feel like you need to protect will lead you to the spinning of a whole. bunch of other lives in your life, right? One destructive behavior, if left uncorrected in your life, will will throw a whole host of other behaviors in your life into dysfunction. In fact, it could take you down to the very worst place. This is what Jesus is talking about, and we've known it in ourselves, and we've seen it in others, and it's been really hard. It's not right in a lot of those situations. I'm sure we feel to remain silent. I had a, a friend a number of years ago, and I bet many of you have had friends uh, or know this situation yourself, who, who, who started to, to, to drink too much. I did not love his relationship with alcohol, and in fact, I, I grew to almost hate that sin in his life. I hurt over what it was doing to him. I hurt over what it did to those around him, including myself. And when I thought about how to love him, right, part of loving him was responding to that sin that was destroying him to call it out, to support him through the change. And I didn't feel like I could just let it be, nor that Jesus would ever want me to just let that be in his life. As I read the scriptures, in fact, what I saw my faith compelling me to do was to speak up and to be a truth teller and then to stand beside him through the change. Because some sin is so horrible and its consequences are so destructive that, that we cannot stay silent, right? And that's part of the tension. And, and just uh, let me share this the language of hating sin, love the sinner, hate the sin. Do you know that actually that language is in the Bible when it comes to how God feels about certain sin? Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 says this There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The Lord hates those things, is what the Bible says. And that might be strong language, it actually may be a little hyperbolic, Um, and this is actually the strongest verse that where, where it says God feels this way, he hates sin, in the entire Bible. But what I'm just trying to communicate with you all, I think this is reflective of, of how bad the real consequences of sin actually are It was sin that wrecked everything from the beginning. In Genesis 3, right? Uh, Sin split our world to two. It broke our relationship with God. It broke our relationship with one another. And it was sin that caused Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross so that we might be forgiven of our sins, right? And without sin, without taking sin seriously the gospel doesn't even make any sense there is no gospel without a reality of sin and, and, and so listen i'm not saying here that, that that i think we need to become the moral police for our friends and family. I'm just trying to let you feel the tension. I'm not saying that we need to stand on a street corner with a megaphone, uh, which in the 21st century may look more like getting onto social media and dogging comment sections, right? Uh, What I'm saying is that there are times and situations where I just don't think we can remain silent about sin, where something has to be done about sin, and that's where I'm in the middle of the tension. Maybe that's, I I bet that's where a lot of you feel it too. Uh, And where, where I'm at when it comes to that kind of sin, what I say is, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do about this sin? Okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do about sin? You guys there, you see what I'm saying? You feel the tension, okay? Any of you guys... Feel that question as well. Here, I want to share with you guys the realization that I had, being left there. So that, that question, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do about sin? Let's take it back to our passage. Remember the three perspectives, the three different groups interacting that were there? Take, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do about sin? And who do you sound like when you look at the three perspectives that are in that passage? The Pharisees. The teachers of the law, the ones who we know were the villains, the ones who certainly were getting it wrong, and and when when I came to that realization that that that, that tension, that that feeling, that that vocalizing of that problem, put me in the same camp as the Pharisees, right? I know enough about the Bible, and I bet you guys do too, to know that's a problem. That is not the right landing spot, right? And there's got to be a better way to talk about this, to think about this, than than this phrase "love the sinner, hate the sin." Because if I'm in the same camp as the Pharisees, man, something is off here. And um, and, and and what it did uh, was really help me reflect deeply about what might be wrong with love the sinner, hate the sin. And and so let me share the two things that as I engage the rest of the Bible started to become clear and even are in this passage with Jesus. Here's Here's the first problem. Love the sinner, hate the sin inevitably puts us hypocritically in the judge's seat it inevitably, unescapably puts us in the hypocritical position of being a a judge to someone else. And and so while it is theologically true in the Bible that God loves sinners, did you guys know that actually love the sinner isn't actually in the Bible anywhere? Uh, If we're going to be biblically precise, that statement is never once in the Bible at all. Uh, that specific command, love the sinner, is nowhere in the scripture, right? But you know what is very close to love the sinner that is actually in the Bible all over the place? It's this, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Not love the sinner, love your neighbor. And that commandment is not only present, it's actually given to us as one of the most important commandments in the, in the entire Bible. In fact, Jesus says to us that it is the second most important commandment behind love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, right? So, so it's a very important one. Love your neighbor. Now, it's also correct, just to, to be clear about this, that your neighbor is a sinner. That's theologically true and affirmed if you think about your HOA, okay? Um, <laughs> but, but I just want to point out that is not what the Bible says, love the sinner. It says, love your neighbor. And I, I think that is really significant. I think it should make us pause. Why is one in the Bible very important and the other is not there at all? Here, here's the reason. Here's what I think is going on there we cannot handle looking at someone else as a sinner and not as a neighbor, right? It's not good for our souls. Those are categories that are not helpful for our brain. Uh, We we frame up our relationship to others with love the sinner, hate the sin in a way that just isn't healthy and what happens is we see people not as people first not as neighbors first which is what Jesus and the scriptures are always trying to do but to help, but, but instead we start seeing those people with that sin we see them as sinners and we they, they become objectified in our mind and they start to lose their humanity and their similarity to us and they become a sinner to be fixed and not a neighbor to be loved, right? So, so, so that's part of the problem. The other problem with that framing up of love the sinner, hate the sin, is we aren't part of that saying, that equation at all, right? So where are you in love the sinner, hate the sin? You're not in there at all. You're outside of it, right? You are the one who gets to look from afar and, and say, love the sinner, hate the sin, you get to say that's the problem of sin, but that is hypocritical, right? That is the very thing that Jesus tries to redirect in John chapter 8, right? He, he, we bring the sinner to Jesus and say, what are you going to do about this sin? And Jesus says, what are you going to do about your sin, right? You're a sinner too, right? Let the one who is without sin throw the first stone, And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's trying to fix our hypocritical uh, perspective by reminding us that we are always a part of the sin equation. And and what that also does is it, it clarifies that the real problem with love the sinner, hate the sin has nothing to do with how God views and deals with sin. It has everything to do with how we sinners inevitably neglect the plank in our own eye uh, and, and aim for that speck in, in the people that we're supposed to love around us, right? Jesus fixes our perspective by reminding us that we hypocritically find ourselves in the judgment seat, okay? That is the first reason I do not think love the sinner, hate the sin is, is a helpful category to use. Here's the second one Love the sinner, hate the sin rarely is experienced as love. Love the sinner, hate the sin rarely is experienced as love. You know, when Jesus gave us this really critical command, love your neighbor, a lot of you guys know there was another part to it, right? It wasn't just love your neighbor, it was love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's a really helpful way for us to think about. Uh, however we were to act or interact with somebody else's sin, how, we would, how would we like that to happen in our own lives, right? And if I had a sin and somebody was going to speak to me about it or engage it, how would I want them to do that? And this is how I think I would want that to happen with uh, mountains of grace, right? With tremendous patience Actually, first, them trying to understand and engage me in conversation, open to talk to me about it, ready to stand beside me, then and help me through it, right? That would help me experience it as love. That's how I would want to be treated, right? But I think the the really sad thing is, uh, one of the most problematic aspects of this cliche is that rarely when it's said do people ever experience that kind of love, Rarely is it is it felt and received in any kind of way that we would want it to happen ourselves, and, uh, and 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 sadly, I think, love the sinner, hate the sin has become associated with some of the worst bad Christian behavior. You know, it, actually, ironically, I think what happens. Is that we actually end up a lot of folks have actually ended up flipping this this cliche in reverse because uh, and people observe that people that certain Christians love the sin because it allows them to hate that sinner, okay? And, and that that is just so. Is this uh, this week? Somebody sent me a um, an image and it had nine nine people in it uh, and and it was supposed to be Christian people and they were all angry. Like they were yelling, screaming, pointing, couple giving the middle finger. And, uh, and uh, at the top of that image, it said, there's no hate quite like Christian love. Okay, there's no hate quite like Christian love. And actually, I think this person responded to it brilliantly. She, she, she said, uh, it is sad to be judged by the lowest common denominator of, of a demographic you are part of. But there is reasonable cause to land on that. And, and I think she's right. I, I agree with her. Love the sinner, hate the sin has too often become associated with that kind of bad behavior. And it is definitely not experienced as love in those cases. And, and, and so the question is, how, how do we do better, right? What is the way that we can show love better? And so think back to our passage, John 8. Who, this woman felt love from one person, and it was Jesus right? And and please notice, uh, Jesus didn't back away for telling her the truth about sin. But he did that after, firstly, he defended her and protected her and made sure that those who were accusing her were were gone, right? He also did that after he said, I don't condemn you either, right? And, And then he finally spoke to her about her sin. And, you know, I discouraged uh, us from trying to think we could relate to other people's sin like Jesus does. I still do, but I want to encourage us to try to love people like Jesus does. Um, and, and, and what that tells me when I think about how Jesus interacts, like the, the sequence, the chronology is important. Maybe before we ever talk to someone about something we think is sin in their life, one thing we need to do is make sure that we are standing up for them. We, we need to sh- show love by protecting and caring for people no matter what, no matter who they are, okay? To stand up for the dignity of all people no matter how we feel about whatever sin we feel is a problem, right? Here's another thing. Maybe also before we talk about any sin in their life, we make sure that we say loud and clear like Jesus, I do not condemn you that they understand that by our actions uh, as much as our words. And if we don't think that we're able to engage it without having a spirit of condemnation in our hearts, let me suggest you don't engage it at all, right? Be, be, because it's not going to be, it's not going to be helpful. Uh, I think that we should do, take tons of time to pray and think and understand what we're walking into before we ever engage somebody else in a conversation on sin. Um, And and then there's this. Uh, If we're going to follow Jesus' lead in loving, this is a verse that comes to mind. Romans 5.8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God showed his love by sending Jesus to die, by making a sacrifice. If we really want to show our love, that's the example. We make a sacrifice. We bend over backwards. We make sure that people know that we are with them and for them throughout the whole process, okay? Um, so, so those are the two things that I really would bring up. And let me, let me then uh, say, how can we say this better? What are ways that we can think about and communicate this better? Let me just give you two points really quickly. Here's the first. If you feel like you must say something about sin, always include yourself in the conversation. Right? Always include yourself in any conversation about sin. So here's other ways to phrase this out. Love the sinner as yourself. Okay? Love the sinner as yourself, as you need to, to be loved. Here's another one. Love the sinner as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go back one, please. Thank you. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. That uses more of the language of the Bible. Love your neighbor, right? Okay, here's another one. Love the sinner, mind your own sin. Okay? I think that's a good way to go, right? Okay? Here's another one. Even though I am a sinner, I'm including myself. By God's grace, I'll love my neighbor as myself. Right? The, the focus, the emphasis there is, is on the love. Okay, uh, Here's the other thing. Let's make sure if we talk about sin, we do it in a way that doesn't stop with hating the sin and instead talks about the whole good news of the gospel and what Jesus did to overcome our sin. Okay, uh, here, Here's another way to say that. God loved me, a sinner, and forgave me of my sins. That keeps the the love the sinner, it reframes love the sinner, hate the sin. And then, you know, the Bible does this all over the place, right? Actually, one of the things I love about the Scriptures, every time it gives some of the hardest news about sin, it also gives some of the greatest news about God's love for us despite our sin. That verse, uh, Romans 3.23, the wages of sin are death that we talked about earlier. You know what the second part of it says? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the bit of the gospel on the backside of it. You hear that? Okay, here, here's one more that, I, that that is helpful. God hates, God does not love the sin in the world, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I um, I lift this up to you. Lord, I, I know you know this is a tough one. And you know uh, that your love for us is so needed and your forgiveness of our sin is so needed. And Lord, as we interact with this and wrestle with this, I just pray that you'd be present in each one of our lives. I pray that if conversation would need to be had, that we would have it. Um, Lord, that we would listen, that we would love uh, our neighbor as ourself, and we would see people as our neighbors that we would love deeply, Lord. And I um, I just pray that we could do that as individuals, and we could do that as a church. And Lord, we just ask for your grace in this, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.